morning. Welcome to Alger Assembly of God. Welcome to Pentecost Sunday. Welcome back to our study. Our series is entitled, Who is the Holy Spirit? So these last uh, number of weeks in our study, we've been looking at the Holy Spirit being in us and with us and through us. Last time together, we looked at a number of actions of the Holy Spirit. The fact the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Not, not just a, a conscience, but the Holy Spirit is convicting us. And you've often felt that nudge, maybe about to do something wrong or maybe after having done something wrong. That's the Holy Spirit prompting and convicting of sin. We saw that the Holy Spirit guides us, giving wisdom and guidance and direction, always lining up with the Word of God, but the Holy Spirit will guide us. We saw that the Holy Spirit sparks a love for the Word of God encouraging us to dig into and get into his word. And we saw that the Holy Spirit inspires us to reach our world. Man, that is a big task. How many of you know we've got a pretty big world? Right? How many of you, I mean, you might look at it and say, Alger's big enough. But bigger than Alger is the county. Bigger than the county is the state. Bigger than the state is the nation. Bigger than the nation is the continent. Bigger than the continent is the world. And that's a pretty massive task to reach our world. Not just our portion of the world, certainly, but to reach around the entire world. And how in the world can we do that? Can you do that? Can I do that in my own strength? We can't. We need the empowerment of and the equipping of the Holy Spirit. Kind of reminds me of this glove. This is a pretty simple glove. On its own, this glove can't do too much. Now, you might, you might be able to use this and swat a fly. You, you can do a couple of things with this glove. But for this glove to truly be effective, what needs to happen my hand needs to be inside of filling up this glove for this glove to really take action. In a sense, you and I are a little bit like this glove. As, as Christians, as believers, there are some things certainly you and I can do, but we're not equipped and empowered to do all that God's called us to do, we need the empowerment of, the equipping of, the infilling of, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Allow Him to come and to fill your heart and your life, allowing us to accomplish what God is calling us to do. So today we're going to look at, hopefully, answers to a couple of common questions about the baptism in the Holy Spirit and then we're going to invite you to come and to respond at the conclusion of the message. In advance, if you are a Christian, you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I'm going to invite you at the end of the service to come make your way forward and pray in the Spirit. If you've not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, we're going to invite you to come and make your way forward. We love to pray with you and pray for you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So heads up, that's where we're heading. We're believing God to do great things in our altars today. So the couple questions we're going to be answering, first of all, what is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? And secondly, how can I receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit? 
So let's start with that first question. What is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? As Pentecost Sunday, Acts chapter 2, the, the disciples were all together in one accord and the power of the Holy Spirit came and, and they began to speak in other tongues and other languages as the Spirit gave utterance. Well, what is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? First of all, it's a biblical experience. Baptism in the Holy Spirit's a biblical experience. It's not a Mark Andreessen thing. It's not an Alger, Ohio thing. It's not an Assemblies of God thing. It is a biblical experience. Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, told his disciples, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. See, he's drawing a distinction. Water baptism certainly is a biblical experience and instruction, but this is different than that. He says it is a biblical experience, and you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I invite you to the book of Acts, and certainly on your own, maybe even throughout this week, following Pentecost Sunday, read and learn and study and look at the many times that we see people baptized in the Holy Spirit, and the many times what we see the specifics of speaking in other languages, speaking in tongues. So the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a biblical experience. Secondly, it's also a promise. In Luke chapter 24, verse 49, Jesus said, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. God the Father has made a promise about the Holy Spirit. How many of you like promises? You know, maybe it's mom or dad or grandpa or grandpa. Uh, maybe it's a, a co-worker, a classmate, whatever. But they promise ice cream. When someone promises ice cream, how many of you hold them to ice cream? Okay? When someone promises cake or someone promises a, a present, a gift, a dessert, whatever it is, you want to hold them to it. Now, here's the thing about promises, though, and I know that you know this to be true. A promise is only as good as the person making it. Have you found that to be the case? How many of you have had somebody make a promise to you, make a commitment to you, I'm going to, I will, I will be, I will do whatever the case, and not follow through? You've seen it, right? Sometimes we've also been the one who's not followed through. But when promises are made, you and I know it's only as good as the one making them. There are certain individuals, when they give you their word, I promise, you take it to the bank. It's going to happen. And then you and I also know there's some other individuals, when they give their word, when they make a promise, you smile, but on the inside, what are your thoughts? I'll believe it when I see it. Something to that effect. That does not apply to God. God is a guarantor of his promises. He's 100%. He's a yes and amen kind of God. So when God says, and Jesus says, I'm going to send you what the Father has promised, you can take that promise to the bank. So the baptism in the Holy Spirit, it's biblical. It's a promise of God. We can count on him and take him at his word. Thirdly and interestingly, it's a command. 
Acts 1.4, notice how this is worded. It says, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he, meaning Jesus, gave them, meaning the disciples, this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. Many times it kind of gets relegated into the optional sort of, you know, if that's something you think about or want to do, maybe sort of kind of seek. How did Jesus put this here for his disciples? You know, if you're not doing anything, if you're not busy, if there's nothing better going on, you might consider sort of hanging around. That wasn't the way he worded or phrased it. It says, he gave them a command, don't leave, but wait for the gift. The command is, this is a pretty important gift, a pretty important promise, and I don't want you to miss it. Many times, it's kind of the optional, sometimes, maybe, I want to encourage and challenge you to seek after this gift. It's biblical. It's a promise, a command, and it follows salvation, fourthly of all. Now, let's cover a couple, you might call them theological terms. Some might talk about it being subsequent and distinct. What do we mean by that? Subsequent, meaning it follows after. It comes after. After salvation and distinct, it is distinct from salvation. You see, when you and I surrender our heart and our life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives within, but there is a subsequent, a distinct work of the Holy Spirit following salvation. God has more in store for you and I. You think about the disciples. John chapter 20, he, he prayed upon them and breathed upon them, said, receive the Holy Spirit. John chapter 20, they were with Jesus. And yet Jesus himself said, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. There's more in store. Acts chapter 8, Samaritan converts were saved. And then it says that they received the Holy Spirit. There was more in store. Acts chapter 9, Saul was converted on the road to Damascus and then later received and was filled with the Spirit. There was more in store. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 19. We'll actually read this scripture. We're looking at the Ephesian disciples. Acts chapter 19, looking at verse 1. While Apollo was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And it says, there he found some disciples. Pause right there. These were disciples. They had surrendered and followed and were following after the teachings of Jesus. They were disciples. But Paul asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, what baptism did you receive? They replied, John's baptism. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And he told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
So there was salvation, there was trust in Jesus, baptism. Certainly there's baptism in water, and, and water baptism is a symbol, outward symbol of what God's done on the inside. But then in verse 6 it says, When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So individuals who were disciples but had not heard, had not known about more that was in store, the Holy Spirit. Maybe that describes some of you in this place, in this church, or watching or listening online. A Christian, a follower of Jesus for a short period of time, a long period of time, but have not heard or have not responded to the message of more in store. Now understand the, the time frame. For some, it maybe is very shortly after salvation. And many times this is seen in a, in a camp setting, maybe a kid's camp or a youth camp setting. Kids and youth who are heading to camp for a week, and they'll have service day after day after day. Many students might be receiving Jesus Christ into their life, and salvation may have been an earlier part of the week. And maybe the next day or a couple of days later, uh, the evening is about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and students will be baptized in the Holy Spirit maybe a day or two after salvation. And then maybe for some of you in, in your story, in your experience, maybe you were a Christian, and it was not a matter of days. Maybe it wasn't even a matter of weeks or months. For some, it was a long period of time from salvation to the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So it is subsequent to, it is after that. But there's not, a, there's not a time frame, there's not a fine print in here that says, good to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit in 10 minutes or less. We would love there to be some kind of time frame. But again, it's a gift. It is a promise. It follows salvation. But you and I are to seek the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So that's a, just a handful of descriptions about what the baptism in the Holy Spirit is. Let's take a look at some practical biblical instructions on how to seek and receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to do just that. We're going to invite you to come and to pray and to seek to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. How can we do that? Some practical steps. Number one is, I believe it starts with desire. Do you and I have a heart's desire to receive this gift? John chapter, 30, uh, chapter 7, verses 37 and 39, Jesus, on the last and greatest day of the festival, stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. He said, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. There's got to be a hunger and thirst and a desire for God. Now, I know I just made a big mistake. I said hunger and thirst, and some of you, all of a sudden, you're starting to listen to your stomachs grumble and rowl. Grumble and growl, I think is what I meant. Rather than maybe kind of tuning in to the power of the Holy Spirit. 
But Jesus is saying, is there, is there a thirst? Is there a hunger? Is there a great desire for the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Do you want that closer walk with God? Do you want to receive that gift? Do you want to receive the promise that he's talked about? It's more than just kind of being a Christian saying, well, I hope it just happens. I hope it just kind of falls upon me. Do you have a desire to receive this? Desire more of God. Desire the gift. Desire this promise that God the Father has promised. So I believe it starts with a desire. Secondly, I believe it involves repentance. That we repent, that we are clean in our hearts and in our lives. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, we read, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's that distinct and separate work following salvation, but we must be right with God. This is the gift for the believer, for the Christian. Individuals, as you read through the book of Acts, one in particular saw some of the disciples, some of the apostles, and they were living and moving and interacting and preaching and teaching and healing in the power of the Holy Spirit. It was visible. It was able to be seen and demonstrated, and he wanted what they had. You can't just buy it. You can't just say, hey, I want what you've got. It's the gift for the Christian. So we must be clean, forgiven, have that relationship with God. It's something that follows salvation. But certainly for the Christian, let's be sure that there's not sin that's in between our hearts and life in Christ. Sin separates us from God. So to be deep in a life of sin, saying, well, at some point, many years ago, I gave my life to Christ, but I'm not living for him. But hey, let me receive that gift. It's not just having the desire for it, but that clean heart and attitude to say, God, I repent. Help me to be clean. Help me to be forgiven. Desire, repentance, thirdly, it involves us asking. Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 11. I say to you, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Now, it's kind of a rhetorical question, but if you're listening to that, you would do what I saw some of you in, in your facial expressions. You're like, huh? Nobody in their right mind as a father, if the son asks for a fish, in other words, something to eat, is going to then give them a snake to play with. Verse 12, or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Uh, not, not just about sons, but about your daughters. If you, as a parent, if your child asks for something, you want to bless. Now, let's just say this. Uh, we've got daughters, and I, I'm pretty sure on this. I'm not 100% on them in Brooklyn, but I'm, a, I'm about 99.9% .9 sure they have never asked for an egg. 
pretty sure they've not asked for an egg. I'm also about 99.999% that they've never asked for fish. But I know they've asked for other things. And if that's the case, I, as a loving human father, am not going to respond with a snake and a scorpion. Because then Jesus says here in verse 13, if you then, though you are evil, in other words, if you then, because you are imperfect human people, you agree with that, right? Only Jesus was perfect. He says, if you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who, what? Ask him. Ask, asking for this gift, asking for this blessing, asking for this promise. I mean, we're imperfect. We mess up. As, as good as we want to be as parents, husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, as good as we try to be, we're still very much imperfect. But we know we want to give some good things to our kids. How much more? A heavenly Father who is perfect and who loves you and who loves you and who loves me, how much more does he desire than to give the Holy Spirit this gift, this promise to those who do what? Ask. So do you have a desire? Do you have this hunger and thirst for what God has? Are we clean and pure by repenting? Are we asking? He's probably more anxious to give it than we are to receive it. You ever, you ever had one of those gifts, uh, maybe uh, for a spouse or for your kids or for your parents or whatnot, and you've prepared this present, and it is so awesome, it is, it is just the absolute best thing, and you just can't wait to give it because you can't wait to see their faces when they open it. You've probably had one of those gifts, right? Like, man... I know they've been wanting this for so long, they probably don't think they're going to get it. Or man, they don't even know that this thing exists and I found something. It's the perfect gift. Oh, man, I just can't wait to give it. It's kind of like God with you and I. He's more desirous, probably even more anxious to give the gift of the Holy Spirit than oftentimes we are to receive it. James chapter 4 says, you have not because you ask not. We're encouraged to ask. He's not withholding the blessing, but patiently waiting for us to ask. We're givers of good gifts. A lot of, a lot of people are really good at giving good things. How much more a heavenly father, perfect in all his ways. We sung about the, whole, uh, the father today. How much more does a heavenly father desire to give and to bless you and I with that gift? Ask. Fourthly, fourth practical instruction on seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to believe. John chapter 7, again, verse 38 and 9, he says, Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. 
For gift to be given, someone must give and someone must receive. You've got to trust and believe that he will do that. Do you believe that God has a gift? Do you believe that he loves you and desires to bless you with that gift? In a sense, it's a bold step of or act of faith. We might not understand everything about it, but do we trust in and believe that our God is good and has good gifts for you and I as his children? We believe. Fifth, moving through quickly, but I want to give you a little bit of a biblical understanding and foundation. Fifthly, I think is us yielding. Romans chapter 6, verse 13, the King James says, Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but yield yourselves unto God. Yield yourself to God. The New Living Translation says to give yourselves completely to God. In other words, it means to present or offer your giving, your yielding yourself to Him. The modern paraphrase, the message says to throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time into God's way of doing things, yielding to him. Yield. As you know, these last month or two, we've got a new official driver in our house. She's doing a great job. Autumn's got her driver's license. And, and, you know, when you first started learning and driving, you're learning the rules of the road and, and all the different signs because you got to be quizzed on and tested on all those signs. And how many of you know yield is one of those? When you're on that entrance ramp to the highway and you're on going 20 and then 30 and then 40, you're getting up to speed. How many of you know you are supposed to yield to the vehicles already on the highway? They're going 60, 70, depending on what part of the, the country you're in, 80 plus miles per hour. You know, if you've got a large semi going 70, 80 miles an hour, your vehicle is not just going to jump in front of them. You yield to faster traffic. You and I are to yield to the source, to the stronger source, our Heavenly Father, yielding to Him. It's an act of our will, yielding ourselves. And when it comes to the baptism and the Holy Spirit, in a sense, it's yielding our tongues, our speech to Him. You think about uh, the other form of baptism in water baptism. We do have a, a water baptismal tank here at the back of our uh, platform. When, you when you're baptized in water, now we've got a little bit of a stool. You kind of sit on the stool and I'll come behind and you kind of tip them backwards and they go underneath the water and they trust and they are yielded to me as a pastor, then I'm going to raise them up out of the water again. Now, over 25 years of ministry, I've got a 100% success rate. Haven't lost one. Even though you know it's probably you know, a pretty safe bet, there's still a little bit of yielding on your part. Because you can't just kind of lower yourself and raise yourself up by yourself. You're kind of yielding and, and trusting in someone else as a pastor or leader that's there in that baptismal tank. 
So as we seek the baptism in the Holy Spirit, part of us is yielding and surrendering to the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, allowing him then to speak through us. We've got to be yielded to him. Holy Spirit's not going to overpower us like a robot and just take over our body. It's our voice, our lips, our tongue, and so we are yielded to the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's a little bit of a challenge to yield and to surrender, perhaps, to yield our lips and our tongue and our speech and allow the Holy Spirit to speak, which is then number six. Sixth instruction is to speak. Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled. It says that they began to speak, but how? As the Spirit enabled, they were yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit, but they were the ones doing the speaking. Acts chapter 2, verse 11, it says, We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. What was amazing, there were people from all over these uh, many countries and nations and regions, and they were hearing people speak in their language, in their dialect, people who they knew weren't from where they were from. And so part of it is, it's the speaking out as the Holy Spirit enables and prompts, we then speak what the Holy Spirit gives now, maybe you've heard in, in our Assemblies of God as we talk about and teach about and preach about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, you'll hear this term, the initial physical evidence. What do we mean by that? Let's just take a brief look at each word. We say it's the initial physical evidence. It's initial meaning it is the first representable evidence. It's the first indication that God's baptizing you in the Holy Spirit is that you hear somebody speaking in tongues, speaking in another language that they don't know. This is not, okay, uh, you took some Spanish or you took some French in high school, and now you're kind of just tossing out a couple of words that you remember. This is not a language that you've learned or studied or understood. It's another language. And so speaking in other tongues in this other language, it's that initial, it's that first indication of what's taking place. Physical, what does that mean? It's able to be heard, seen, witnessed, experienced that something's happening. When you hear somebody speak in that language, it's a physical occurrence. And then evidence, it's an outward sign something's taking place. In a courtroom, people are looking for evidence. It's, it's not just, well, I think he did it. I think she did it. What's everybody saying? you got to find me some evidence. How many times is evidence used on cop shows? Got to have some evidence. Something tangible. You can't just say, I think something happened. I think he did it. I think she did it. Find some evidence that links the person to that. So speaking in other tongues, speaking in other languages, it's the evidence of something taking place. But as we receive, we then need to speak out what God gives. The phrases, the words, the syllables that you sense God giving to you. And, and the challenge is to speak 
even though maybe it sounds like some sounds or words or syllables that you and I don't understand. Because how many of you, I think the answer is already going to be zero, but I'll ask it anyway. How many of you are fluent in every single language under the sun on this whole wide world? Zero hands. So we don't know. Typically, you might know a language. Some of you maybe are fluent. You're bilingual or trilingual. You know a couple different languages. Or you know enough to be uh, dangerous. Donde esta el baño? Where is the bathroom, right? You, you got a couple little phrases you can say when you go places. But outside of a little couple things like that, we don't know all of these languages. And so as we're yielding and surrendering all some of these other biblical concepts that we're talking about, and now that we're praying and saying, God, baptize me and fill me. I'm, I'm seeking this promise and this gift. And there's some you know, syllables or some words or phrases that, boy, they don't make sense to me because I don't speak that language. Part of it is speaking out in faith what God gives when it doesn't sound perhaps like a language. There's a lot of different languages, and, and some are, are almost, you might call them melodic. You've, you've heard different people speaking in certain languages, and it's very melodic. And other languages, you say, oh, it's kind of, a, kind of a, a rough language. Whatever the case might be, we don't know what that language might be in the heavenly language that God blesses or baptizes us as we begin to speak. But he's not going to just take over like a robot. He's, he's going to use your lips, your tongue, your voice. And we begin to speak what God gives. Here's a powerful thing. God has a promise. He's got a gift for you, a gift for me. The encouragement is to seek and to receive it. <music>